There are lots of patients with inherited diseases. What research is being conducted to improve diagnosis and treatment for these patients? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, and our guest is Dr. Elizabeth McNally, Professor of Medicine and Human Genetics and Director of both the Institute for Cardiovascular Research and the Cardiovascular Genetics Clinic at the University of Chicago Medical Center in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. McNally is a cardiologist and internationally known expert on the genetics of heart disease and joins us to talk about research into inherited heart diseases. Dr. McNally, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. So what are inherited heart diseases? Well, there are many different forms of inherited heart disease. I have directed for the last 12 years a cardiovascular genetics clinic that takes care of patients that have inherited forms of of heart disease, and in the last few years, we actually have now access to a great deal of clinical testing for these patients. Most commonly, we see patients with inherited forms of cardiomyopathy, dilated and hypertrophic. We also see patients with inherited vascular disorders, such as Marfan's, which can affect the aorta, and we also see patients with inherited forms of arrhythmias, either sudden cardiac death, long QT syndrome, or Brugada syndrome, for example. What's the prevalence of these diseases in the general population? Well, it varies with disease. The hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is estimated to be at about 1 in 500, although the estimates of this do vary a bit with different populations. The incidence of Marfan's or long QT is is more rare. Are there differences in races and are there sex-linked differences between populations? That's a good question. We we don't fully know the answer to those because of the location of the University of Chicago and the city of Chicago itself. I see a pretty diverse population in my clinic, and we certainly have diagnosed people of all different races and ethnicities with genetic disease. Most of the populations that have been studied and reported in the literature do tend to reflect more the Caucasian population, but again, we've certainly seen mutations in many, many different races and ethnicities. In terms of sex or gender, it's it's a little hard to say. There's some belief that some of the cardiomyopathies may be a little bit worse in males, but we've certainly seen families where the females seem to be more affected, so I don't think we have clear answers on that yet. Give us an overview of the kind of laboratory research your team is doing into inherited heart diseases. So we take a multi-pronged approach towards working on this. I have a group of people in the lab that are actually working very much with our human subjects. And so in those cases, we actually work very closely with families. If we can't get them a clinical diagnosis, we invite them to participate in our research-based studies where we'll try to look at members of the family and collect DNA samples from them and try to sort out what gene is causing their problem. Where we can obtain materials from these patients, usually blood samples or sometimes small skin samples, those are hugely helpful for our studies because it actually gives us biomaterials that we can actually study and try to determine what the defect is. For some of our families, they've actually gone on where a member of the family has actually undergone transplantation, and collecting that material, being able to use that heart, that the explanted heart for studies is also very, very important for our work, and so we strongly encourage our patients and their families to participate in that donation where they can. I have a group of members in the lab that also work on our our mouse-based studies, so in many cases, we've been able to successfully develop mouse models of these inherited diseases. We have models that develop dilated cardiomyopathy. We have models that develop muscle disease. We also have models that develop combinations of both. 
and so we spend a, a great deal of time being mouse cardiologists, which presents its challenge because the mouse heart is relatively small and beats 600 times a minute, and I've had some very talented cardiology fellows come and work with me in the laboratory where they fully admit the, the challenges of trying to do an electrophysiology study on a very small heart beating 600 times a minute. That said, they're very talented, and they've usually been able to get that job done. More recently, we've actually worked into a more unusual model, which is we've actually now developed a Drosophila model for heart disease and muscle disease. And at first, I was quite skeptical that something like that could be done, but using the same genes that we know are in the humans and mutations causing in the humans lead to disease, mutation in the mouse leads to disease, and now we've taken that gene out in Drosophila, and we've shown that as the flies age, they can't walk very well. And flies have a very interesting specialized vessel that runs along the top part of the fly and actually beats rhythmically like a heart, and it turns out they get a very dilated heart tube that doesn't function very well. And so we think this will turn into a very useful model for us because the lifespan of the fly is much shorter than it is in the mouse and, of course, much shorter than it is in the human. And so that allows us to actually be able to study things much more quickly than we could before. And do you also do some basic science lab research on cell lines and cells and that kind of thing? Yes, we do. Again, wherever we can get materials like that from patients, it is immensely helpful for our research. So getting a, a small snippet of a, a skin sample or a blood sample or again, if there, a muscle biopsy has been done, we usually collect that those materials as well. We can expand those sometimes in culture and be able to conduct studies based on those. As We use those as surrogates, and they work pretty well in many cases and really have been hugely helpful for moving the research forward. What does the cytoskeleton have to do with heart disease, especially as it relates to your lab research? The cytoskeleton is a critical place for many of the proteins whose genes lead to dilated forms of cardiomyopathy. So broadly, if you want to break the heart cell into environments, you say it has the surface cytoskeleton that includes dystrophin as well as a number of other proteins that are important for attaching the inside of the cell to the outside of the cell. And it turns out those are really quite important because if you have mutations in those genes that disrupt, for example, the dystrophin complex, this leads to a weakened plasma membrane and leads to cardiomyopathy as well as muscle disease in many cases. Inside the cell is the machinery that produces contraction, the sarcomere, and this is actin, myosin, and the thin filament-associated proteins. Most of the time, mutations in those genes lead more to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, although a subset of the time it can also lead to dilated cardiomyopathy, and it's that area that's actually moved forward rather quickly into clinical testing. And then there's been a newer area in the last few years, which is the nucleus and the nuclear membrane. And so it turns out the nuclear membrane also has something of a cytoskeleton, nucleoskeleton, we actually refer to it, that provides some structure and support to the nuclear membrane. And mutations in genes of the encoding proteins of the nuclear membrane, namely lamins and emerin, also lead to dilated cardiomyopathy, sometimes associated with muscle disease. Statistically speaking, we actually probably see more of those mutations than we do any others. And lamin mutations are, while still rare on the scale of most diseases, we do see and we've diagnosed a number of patients and families with these. And it's a fascinating disorder because we know these patients are at risk for developing heart muscle weakness as well as irregular heart rhythms, but we don't really understand why. And there are several different ideas out there. One is that the new nuclear membrane is, is structurally defective and so that it's weakened in the same way that the plasma membrane is. That's a little hard to fully explain because most of the mutations actually still leave the proteins in place at the nuclear membrane. There's also the idea that the nuclear membrane plays an active role 
in scaffolding or interacting with DNA sequences and thereby regulating their expression. And so that's one avenue which we've been trying to look at very closely to see whether the defects in the nuclear membrane actually lead to abnormal gene expression themselves. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Elizabeth McNally, a University of Chicago cardiologist, internationally known expert on the genetics of heart disease, who joins us to talk about research into inherited heart diseases. Let's talk a little bit more about this nuclear membrane issue. How recently did we discover this, and where do we think it's going to take us? The first patients were described probably around the year 2000, I should say, described where we understood the gene defects. So it's really only been five, six, seven years that we've been recognizing this. Again, it's a very interesting disorder to think about because unlike many of the other ones that we work with, we actually know that these genes, for example, lamin and emerin, the proteins are actually found in many different cell types. And in fact, in the case of lamin, there are the most common thing to get from a lamin mutation is actually cardiomyopathy or maybe some mild muscle weakness. But what we know is in some rare instances, they also get a disorder known as lipodystrophy, which is a disorder where you lose fat cells from some parts of your body and gain it in some other places where you don't necessarily want it. And then also, there are very specific mutations in lamin that can also be associated with a premature aging syndrome known as progeria. So why mutations lead to these tissue-specific phenotypes is is a very important question to try to address. And again, we've taken the approach where we're starting to think about, well, how do these genes regulate gene expression, and is that the mechanism by which they're causing disease in a heart muscle cell or in an adipocyte or in fibroblasts? And really helpful for us in this process has been identifying patients and families as well as getting blood samples and and potentially some skin samples from them because it it turns out those are probably pretty good tissues to look at for disease as well. And do you collect those samples from all over the country or is that just basically Chicago-specific? We'll take them from anywhere, although many of the patients and families we have worked with are here in the Midwest. Are there other centers doing this similar kind of work in other parts of the country? There are in Europe. There are not as many in this country working on this particular disease. So if members of our listening audience had families with inherited cardiomyopathies that wanted to be involved in research or even give their samples for science, they could contact the University of Chicago. Absolutely. I have a coordinator who works with me, Lisa Delafave, who's a genetic counselor who works with the patients and families. And we are also one of the centers that offers testing for that as well. So it is very important. I I will say most of our patients and families that we work with often come to us through the internet because, and part of the reason I like working with these families so much is because they're usually very interested and very proactive at figuring out what they can do, and, and we're always delighted to work with them. Talk to us a little bit about some of the ways that this lab research ties into the clinical research and patient care that you're doing. I have to say in in the years I have been doing this, I used to be at the point where I would think about things I wanted to work on and very often there was quite a gulf between what was happening in the lab and the patients that I was seeing in clinic. And now I would say we've very much evolved. We're very often the patients and the families that we see in clinic are exactly the things that we're working on in the laboratory setting. And so the fact that we've been able to bring those things closer together, I think, has been very satisfying. Now, of course, we've got to move it to the next level, which is actually making a difference. So I think the first things we are able to do for patients and families is to help them know who's at risk with their family, and we're able to do that through genetic testing. The next big things for us are finding early signs and symptoms of disease so that we can begin preventative therapy as early as we possibly 
possibly can and take the steps to uh, put in defibrillators, prevent sudden death where necessary. Where we're going next is we're trying to figure out pathways and potential drugs to interfere with those pathways so that we can more effectively treat the disorder. So it's very much a stage process, but I feel like we've made some progress, at least on the first parts of this. Is most of the research that you do government-supported research, private philanthropy research, or drug company research? Our research funding comes from two sources. We have been supported by the NIH, which is government-sponsored research, and we've been also very generously supported by important foundations that work with patients and families. So one of our big supporters has always been the Muscular Dystrophy Association. We have also, over the years, received support from the American Heart Association. And then we've also been successful from several of the larger private foundations that support research very broadly, but that they've been sufficiently interested in our research to support it. And that includes the Burroughs Welcome Foundation as well as Doris Duke Charitable Foundations. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Elizabeth McNally, for joining us to talk about research into these inherited heart diseases. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.